Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs and to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Want regular updates on moves your competitors are making? You can learn more at startupcompetitors.com. Hey there. Today we're chatting with Hugh Holman, who's the co founder and CEO of Observa. Observa provides real-time insights into retail sales and marketing efforts. That's a fancy way of saying that they leverage workforce that goes out into retail establishments and looks real-time at what's happening in those stores with products. Then they report back to the brands that represent those products on what the status is in the store. That can be everything from placement to pricing, you name it. Great conversation. Really enjoyed it. Hugh did an amazing job about 10-ish, 15 minutes in, minutes in, just kind of walking through year by year the growth of the company. And he shared some awesome little kind of tidbits in there uh, as he did that, just in passing. I really thought some of those were great. Picked out a couple of those. Talks a little bit about technology that's you know emerging and how they plan on leveraging that going forward. Uh, talks a lot about scaling something nationwide, uh, COVID impact. We touch a lot of topics. Uh, which you and I talked about after we, uh, you know, finished recording the podcast. Really great conversation. I really enjoyed this one. Hope you do too. Uh, you can find them at observanow.com. And if you can find Hugh online, thank him so much for coming on the podcast. And thank you for listening. With that, I also want to do a quick shout out to Fuel Merchandise Group. Fuel is uh, one of our newer sponsors here to the podcast. You can find them at fuelmerchandise.com. If you need any brand marketing or products for your company, you can get 10% off your first order. Just mention Startup Competitors at fuelmerchandise.com. And with that, we'll just get right on to the show. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we're chatting with Hugh Holman, who's the co-founder and CEO of Observa. Hugh, welcome. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Why don't we open things up with a quick pitch for Observa? That, sure. That sounds great. So uh, for those that aren't aware of Observa, we basically are addressing the biggest problem in retail, which is poor store execution. And so what that means for a shopper like we all are, when you walk into a grocery store, for instance, you know, you're, you walk down the aisle, you look for products. And what you don't notice is what, what Observa finds out. And that is which products aren't on the shelf that are missing from the shelf set, which products don't have accurate pricing, which products don't have promotions that are in place. These are all things that brands expect to happen within the grocery store, but doesn't. And there really hasn't been an effective way to measure this store execution as it's referred to until now. So this is a new thing that Observe is doing. And in the way we do this is through a couple mechanisms. First of all, we have uh, built a a crowd, you know, a group of workers out there across North America that's now 275,000 strong. These folks use our mobile apps on iOS and Android, and we pay them to go into stores and measure what's happening, this store execution, on behalf of the consumer brands that we represent. So as days and weeks progress, more and more of these jobs go out there on the mobile app. They pick up the jobs and go do them, and they get paid on the same day that they do that work. And as they're measuring, what's happening is they're answering questions about those products, how they're being uh, merchandised and promoted in the stores, and they're also taking photographs. And those photographs provide us what we call photographic evidence 
of what is actually happening in the stores. It both validates the questions that they're answering about what they're finding. And we then use those photos to digitize them, turn the photos into data to deliver richer insights for our customers. So we accept those photos into the Observa platform. We're using artificial intelligence to turn the, the photos into data. And then we're reporting against expectations from the brand. So these expectations are things like a, an approved product list of the products that are supposed to be in the store, the pricing associated with those products, even the design of the shelf, which is called a planogram or a modular, which tells exactly where each one of those products is supposed to be and, and groups the products by brand into what they call brand blocking on the shelf. And that's what draws your attention to a bunch of commonly designed products on the shelf that are produced by a single brand. And so the reason why this is so important for the customers that we work for, these consumer brands, is that they spend a trillion dollars annually globally on what's called trade spend. And this trade spend is to, is to actually be able to sell the products in the brick and mortar environment of stores. Um, they're paying for that space on the shelf that you see their products in. They're paying for the discounts and promotions that are offered to you as a consumer as you walk through the store. So when you normally find a product on the shelf for $9.99, but today in the store it's $7.99, you might think that it's the retailer that's offering you that $2 discount. It's not. It's coming from the consumer brand to promote their product. And the retailers push the brands to deliver those dollars to them as trade funds. And according to Nielsen, 72% of the time, those funds lead to a negative return on investment for the brand. And so there's a trillion dollars out there. The brands don't know what's actually happening uh, on their behalf in the retail stores. They don't have an effective way to measure it until now with Observa. And so we're helping all kinds of brands, large and small, whether it's a Procter & Gamble, a Bob's Red Mill, uh, Beyond Meat, you know, smaller brands as well. And, and we're helping them understand, you know, are those funds being effective? Are they getting what they think they're getting? We're, we're helping them both hold the retailers compliant as well as negotiate better terms for their trade spend dollars. And of the things that we find out, our observers often take action and fix those problems in the store, whether they're able to do it directly at the shelf or whether they have to work with store personnel or the store manager, for instance, to buy in products that aren't there in the store or missing from the shelf set that they've identified. And so we're helping them increase the presence of their products on the shelf and therefore drive increased sales and an improved consumer shopping experience at the same time. So all parties win with our service out there in the stores, the brands and the retailers, because it drives an increase in sales. All right. That was an awesome overview. I have a couple of questions. If I'm a brand and I'm engaging with you, am I doing that in a specific market, in a region, nationwide, how does that work based on kind of current workforce and where it might be deployed? Yes, uh, actually all of those. And so it depends on the challenges and the goals for the brand. We happen to have people in all markets. So it doesn't matter whether the brand wants us to do work in you know densely populated metro areas, the Chicago, New York's, uh, Seattle's, Portland's of the world or whether they want us to be in Twin Falls, Idaho, or Yellowknife, Canada. You know, we have people in those more remote areas too, which is a differentiator for us. 
But it really comes down to what the brand is trying to achieve. Are they trying to grow sales in the large chains like, um, you know, a Walmart or, you know, the Kroger stores, which is the Kroger's the largest grocery store chain. And, and they often have stores under different banner names. But, you know, or are they trying to get better penetration into independent stores or smaller grocery stores? Uh, where, you know, there might be single operators or an operator that has, you know, three or four stores instead of thousands. And we can help in all those situations. And we help the brand achieve their corporate goals. We help them, you know, work where they're struggling. And part of it is being able to help initially reporting where the problems are and then secondarily taking action to fix those problems. And we have a process out there to measure and improve and measure and improve so that they can operationalize this process to improve things over time and continue to drive sales and, and achieve their corporate goals. And then one other thing you said in the overview that was really intriguing to me, and you just said it again here a second ago, talk to me a little bit about what fixing something in the store looks like and does that sometime create conflict with the store manager or, you know, who, whatever employees might be there? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So, you know, as we're all shoppers. And so when you go into a grocery store, you usually think that the people you see restocking sh store shelves or, or fixing shelf tags or doing things like that in store are employees of the store. Sometimes that's true, but often it's not. The retailers have pushed a lot of that work off to third parties, whether it's the brands themselves, whether it's companies like separate merchandising organizations that might work on behalf of the retailer or on behalf of the brands or companies like Observa. They expect us to be in the stores helping our, our customers, the brands. They actually want us to be there because we're helping improve the shopper experience. We're helping fix the problems on the shelf. And those problems, just to be more specific, we're out there identifying which products are supposed to be on the shelf that aren't on the shelf. That's called a void. If it's supposed to be there, but there's no space allocated for it, there's no shelf tag for that product. We've all gone into a store looking for a product and you you walk around for 15 minutes trying to find it and you give up, right? Um, we, we, we solve that problem for the brand. You know, they can't sell it if it's not there on the shelf for a consumer to find it. So that's the first thing. Second is we're products are slotted in. That's the term for having the space allocated where they're slotted in with the shelf tag, but there's no inventory there. So they need to be re-merchandised or more inventory needs to be added to the shelf. And we'll take care of that too. Third, we can replace shelf tags. We can put out uh, point of sale materials. These could be instantly redeemable coupons, shelf stickers, shelf talkers, you know, things like that, that speak to the consumer, give more information about the product or provide a discount. So there's a bunch of activities like that. There's also other merchandising elsewhere in the store, secondary displays, end caps, and things like that that we can work on as well. So that kind of gives you an overview of the things we do and answers the question about do the retailers actually want us to be there. And then one last quick orienting question. Are the observers, the folks that are deployed nationwide, are those full-time employees? Are those gig workers? How are they engaged? Yeah, they're, they're contract workers or gig workers, and it's a beautiful situation where we're able to offer work to people on their own schedule. And so it's not that we're telling them what work they have to do. They're choosing the work. They're opting in for the work. And uh, it's a situation where we have the, uh, the jobs out there on our mobile apps, 
and they pick them up on an as needed or as wanted basis. So we have people that are doing, you know, 10 jobs in a row and we have folks that do one a week. And so it really depends on their want and need for the work. And we're really happy to be able to offer that opportunity to lots of people across the United States and Canada. Nice. All right. Hit us with some current stats for the business. So it can be whatever vanity metrics you want to share, customers, revenue, workers, which I think you already shared that one. Anything that paints a picture for somebody who listening where you and the team are at on this journey launching this business? Absolutely. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting to me because, you know, you get to a certain point, you're always reaching for the next stat. And I think it's kind of helpful to fill in that we have a, a pretty neat company, but uh, at this point, we have over 30 employees, you know, 275,000 observers out there, but it didn't start that way. When when I started this company with my co-founder, Eric Chelstad, uh, you know, in 2015, we didn't have a product, we had an idea, right? And that's how all startups begin is with an idea. Uh, it took us a year and we had a minimum viable product that we were able to go get a a few customers to work with us on in mid-2016, and that sent us out in the market. But yet we didn't have an observer base yet to do the work. So we started doing the marketing for the observer base. And what we found is that we couldn't grow it fast enough, and we had to get on planes and fly to California and go do observations ourselves as we recruited observers to do the work too. And so... um, uh, we're really proud of where we're at today, but it didn't start out that way. It's And so for anybody out there that's in a startup that that feels this and have been in that situation, uh, I think it's it's good to recognize that growing a company is is not something where you're flipping a switch, but it's you're you're uh, dealing with every challenge along the way. You know, we've now raised, you know, two point eight million dollars in seed funds. We've grown the company you know, at multiples, sometimes 4X a year. And, you know, we're really proud of that. Uh, we have great a great customer portfolio and we're working with hundreds of brands at this point. But it, it, it takes a lot of dedication and focus to get a company to grow to this point. You know, we're really proud of where we're at now. I, I got to unpack one of the things you said in there. So walk me through the unit economics on the deal where you sign the deal and then get on a plane to fly to California to, to, to then do the observations yourself. Totally. So from a unit economics perspective, it makes zero sense, right? We're going to spend more money to collect the information, the data that we need to deliver to the customer. But from a commitment perspective, from, from the perspective of following through with what we told the customer we're going to do, from the perspective of eating our own dog food and testing our application, our platform, our capabilities, it, it checks all those other boxes. And, and this is true of, of every startup business. There are very, very few that out of the gate, they're, they're making money. So they're, they're making uh, both gross margin off of the, their initial work and net income, you know, that's just not the way it happens. You're, you're spending to learn, you're spending to, you know, gain new customers, you're spending to, you know, establish your, your brand and your product. And, and so we weren't afraid of that. You know, that was something that we were expecting and, and we still invest in our capabilities in doing the right thing for our customers. So you're right from a unit economics perspective, it doesn't make sense. And, and a lot of people, you know, say that entrepreneurship is irrational. 
in and of itself. And, and, you know, there's some truth to that, but you have to really believe in an idea and believe in what you're doing to put the effort behind it and, and, you know, continue to grind forward to figure it out. And, and, you know, that's what we've done and that's what we continue to do. I I love that story. And if we can hang here for a minute, what are some of the other things that you and the team did early on that, that didn't scale that, helped you get through that phase in time. And, you know, maybe now you you have a better, faster way of doing it. But when you look back on it now from, from your current vantage point, you can recognize we, you know, we certainly wouldn't be here if we hadn't done that. And simultaneously, I can't believe we did that. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that getting on planes and going, doing observations ourselves is is one of the best examples. You know, I, I had one night where I'd been going from grocery store to grocery store in California and, and I fell asleep and my car was in a a parking lot. I parked in and actually in a state park parking lot. And I was rousted by a, a, a local policeman because apparently it wasn't legal to sleep in your car there. But, you know, we have situations like that. We are so focused on driving efficiency. And that's really where artificial intelligence comes in in our platform. It's about automating what the human would do. That's what AI does, right? And, you know, our vision is to be able to measure the entire store. And our platform enables already the ability to take photos in from other sources. So not only are we doing our business the way we've traditionally done it and where we continue to do it, Uh, taking in the data from observers via the mobile apps, but we're also now in a more automated, cost-effective manner, taking in feeds from IoT devices and from other sources. So we have uh, shelf cameras in stores. We're able to take intraday photos, and that allows us to measure more frequently and get more detail on what is happening during a day, during a week, on the availability of those products for those brands in a category. And ultimately, our vision is to scale that up in this more cost-effective economic way to be able to measure the whole store. And this is really a race that's happening out there in the market where we're not the only company that wants to be able to digitize the interior of the store. You know, we have other competitors, but nobody has developed the market to the point where there's a standard. And so we're excited about positioning our company as the platform of choice for all brands and retailers being the single version of the truth for that information about what is happening in the path to purchase in front of consumers on the shelf in the stores for for all this branded product. All right. When you think of competitors in this space who or what comes to mind you, you don't have to name specific competitors but just you know other technologies traditional consulting firms what when you're selling who are you selling against sure yeah so if we look traditionally within the consumer packaged goods space and especially grocery because we focus mostly on fast moving consumer goods because that's where we provide the most value the ways that that brands have been able to take action in stores, whether they're collecting information or whether they're, you know, trying to fix problems in the stores, do merchandising, has been through brokers. So brokers are outsourced sales forces essentially for the brand. They're they're uh, companies that have relationships with these uh, chains, the store chains, whether it's Walmart or Kroger or, you know, Albertson Safeway or or what have you. And And because of those relationships, they're able to act as your sales force and sell into those retailers. 
They also, over time, added in other services. They found, the brokers found that uh, their um, relationship with the brands was tenuous, only acting as a sales agent because they were taking a commission on those sales and and, um, over time, their value would be um, looked at as being less than when they started the relationship. And so they tried to make it stickier and now they consider themselves full service sales and marketing agencies where they do branding for their clients, where they build out marketing assets and and marketing programs, deploy those programs in the market, et cetera. And they also offer something that's called retail services. And so that's what Observa is disrupting, is the retail service space that has been offered by these brokers over time because they don't leverage technology the way that we do. And it's traditionally has been done, you know, based on spreadsheets and and capturing information, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, not very consistently, where our approach is 100% transparency, a real-time access through our dashboarding and portal, aggregation of the real data with drill down to the store level details. And none of that has been offered by the brokers. We're completely differentiated from the services in the retail services space traditionally. Now, if I go to the technology space, so the other end of the spectrum, the new entrance to the market like Observa, there are other competitors out there in the AI space that are working to digitize the store. So um, the largest one is Trax Retail, and uh, they are offering some pretty intriguing services that, that compete with ours. They're a little different to work with. We, we pride ourselves in our flexibility in conforming to existing processes and systems in place uh, that our customers have invested in. You know, we want to help them where they need help. And we don't want to force them to change or move away from other existing processes or systems. That's expensive and comes at high risk. We love to understand where we can add value and integrate easily with our API-based technology platform and connect with our existing systems, processes, and, you know, sometimes it's as little as just processing photos for them. And we can take those photos in through our API. Maybe they're collected by their own field workforce. Um, maybe it's a robot or a drone that, that's in a store. And we can process those photos, digitize them, and give them back the data in a format that's consumable into other systems they already have. So they don't have to throw out their existing ERP or CRM, um, you know, their accounting systems or, or customer relationship management systems. They don't have to throw out the technology they've already invested in. They, they can use us with that technology. And so, you know, we're both competing in this traditional market, but we're also offering these, you know, this new, cool, cutting edge, bleeding edge at times technology to, uh, you know, change the way that the stores function. And with our vision of the future, we think that digitizing the whole store is going to change how marketing is done in stores completely. If you understand the path to purchase, it provides new types of A-B test opportunities that, that are only available online and um, opportunities for, for marketing that's more personalized to people that are in the store, maybe even you as an individual as you walk through. And um, I know that sounds a little odd right now, but that's what happens online. And we believe by having the real-time data in the store about everything that's actually being displayed, whether it's the products or the promotions, We'll be able to help, you know, change that marketing in the stores. It's really, our platform is really more like Google Analytics over brick and mortar in many ways. And it's going to provide those advanced marketing 
techniques that happen online to in-store brick and mortar marketing, uh, you know, where 97% of food sales occurs in brick and mortar in the store. So there you go. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need. Not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Full Stack PEO. Full Stack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies. Not just those core services, but advice and expertise that helps founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find more at fullstackpeo.com. So you, you've already touched on this a little bit in in that last answer and in terms of differentiating and leveraging artificial intelligence and uh, starting to install some in-store cameras and things like that. Talk a little bit about some of the emerging technologies that you and the team are excited to start taking advantage of in, in the coming years, because I, I can see a lot of ways that, you know, not even just camera technology dramatically changing over the last few years, but, you know, your ability to even potentially leverage drones or, or bots or, you know, other things to, to start to collect some of this data. Have you guys played around with any of that? What are your thoughts on other things that you may be doing in the coming years as you continue to kind of work on this problem? Absolutely. Yeah. So first of all, to start off with, we're agnostic to the data collection mechanism. And by that, I mean, you know, the camera. Is it attached to a drone, a robot? Is it attached to the shelf, a shelf camera? Uh, is it in the hands of a store worker? Is it in the hands of, of one of our observers? It doesn't really matter to us. We know that when it comes to retailers, they're in a low margin business, which is different from the consumer brands. They're in a high margin business. And when you look at digitizing a whole store, they need to be cost conscious. The retailers do. And so they're going to be looking for the lowest cost way to produce this data to capture photos around the store uh, efficiently over time. And so that the answer to what the right technology is has has not come out yet. That's still sitting out there and, and that's playing out in real time. We've taken feeds from drones, from um, robots. You know, I, we talked about shelf cameras. I think that that it's going to be whatever's the lowest cost and it's going to leverage either existing investments or um, really low cost future investments, or they may even work with brands or a company like Observa to make the investment for those capabilities in the store, knowing that there's a lot of value in selling information, you know, maybe in a, in a rev share kind of a model. So it's going to, it's going to play out. It's going to play out right now. I'm uh, we're doing the most with, with shelf cameras, but that could change. Let's just talk business model a little bit. I'm assuming most of your contracts are longer term contracts. You're working with brands over a period of time to to try to move the needle. Is that is that true? Yes, that's our preference, and and that's our business model is a subscription based model where um, we define the work with our customers over time, and we help them on a measure and improve you know process that that is really operational for them to drive business growth, right? Sales growth over time. And, and it starts fundam fundamentally with availability of their products on the shelf. And so if we can help them improve or increase their, the, the total points of distribution of their products, then we're helping them win in the market. 
there is project work out there and we do take on that project work. And, and a lot of that exists because traditionally that's how a lot of the work was defined is, is pro- project work, surge work. Those are terms used in the, in the retail services space. And, and we're happy to take on that work as well, but it's best for us if we are working strategically with our customers on, you know, long-term goals. And, and that's where we do our best work. How often are you presented with a product or a a thing to observe where there's a dramatic difference in the way that you're capturing that information or or, or doing the assessment where it takes a little bit of retooling on your part? And I'll buy you some time to think about that awful question as I maybe provide an example. So, you know, let's say you're working with a ketchup company, understanding that versus a mustard company, assuming they're two separate companies, probably not that different in terms of what you'd be looking for on the shelf, the types of problems you'd be looking for. But then let's say it's something that is not traditionally on a shelf in the store. Let's say it's bags of rock salt for your water softener that are stored either out front or, you know, in some different space. And it's a completely different layout. I I could imagine some different things that you might be looking for or different concerns that they might have that are not, you know, a typical shelf space kind of a thing. How often when, when you're engaging with a client, do you guys have to step back and, and, and really kind of rethink like, okay, f- we're not afraid to, to tackle this, but for this one, we're going to have to do X, Y, and Z, which is a little bit different than anything we've done before. Or is it really at this point now that you're, you know, five years in, it, it's kind of rinse and repeat and it's pretty rare when that happens. Um, I, so we can, we can measure any products found in a store. It, it doesn't matter how they're merchandised or where they're merchandised in the store We've we basically tackled that problem and, and solved it. Where we find more intriguing challenges is in ways to improve the entire process, right? And so we're often innovating at the edge of the problem. It's more like, okay, you have customers that are telling you they would do more work if you could bring the pricing down. Well, how can we bring the pricing down? We can bring the pricing down by making our observers more efficient. Well, how can we make our observers more efficient? And so you're really grinding on process and technology to make humans more efficient and utilize technology to a greater degree so that humans don't have to do as much work. And then that enables you to bring the price down and scale up with more work with customers, right? In a lot of cases, it's uh, retooling our mobile apps to drive efficiency for observers. On the flip side, it's about how we use artificial intelligence and other technology to eliminate human effort. It's We're in a really cool space right now where all these artificial intelligence theories that were published, you know, 30 years ago and are really the same theories uh, from an academic perspective are being realized because we now have the technology, the compute resources available to attack the problem. The amount of data that we can work with and get access to and, and ensure is clean and, and will work for the models, the AI models to train them is accessible. And, and it won't take three years to build the model on the, on the computer. <laughs> and this is the problem that they had in the past. You know, you can actually now do things that you couldn't do before. So when we're problem solving and trying to work on challenges, it's usually on the edge of the situation. It's not 
you know, where is this product? Are we sure that we can find it? Are we sure that that the observers can do this work? And so it's really about how to drive efficiency for them, how to deploy technology to end up with a better solution overall for our customers and to drive down overall cost. At what point in the business were you able to introduce artificial intelligence? When When did that become a part of the core offering? It was part of our plan all along. So my co-founder, Eric, has experience with machine learning and, and AI, you know, going back to even his days at uh, Honeywell. Uh, we wanted to do it early on, but we had to get uh, the base of our product in place and get, you know, some customers on it and start getting that feedback loop. So we didn't really get the AI in place until I guess Eric started working on it in 2017. And um, I guess we had one one feature in, in in late 2016, but it was really that 2017 timeframe. And, and it really kind of became functional in 2018 uh, from a photo digi- digitization perspective. Uh, we were using some ML on our validation process, which is ensuring quality information is being captured and delivered to our customers. But we really see this as an opportunity with every point in the process, any place that we can, you know, where we have humans involved, where the humans are performing tasks that are repeatable, those tasks then become training for the for AI models. And you can ultimately replace the humans with, with uh, AI. And so it's just a, a pretty simple way to think about deploying AI within a business space. How much more work do you have left to do there? I, I don't think it ends. I literally don't think it ends. Um, <laughs> so because if you think about intelligence, when you start, you know, we're, I was talking about business process, but then when you think about the layers on top, what information is captured? How do we how do we see patterns? How do we look at other data? Like we now have, uh, we're now incorporating sales data out of the point of sale systems from the the stores into our reporting. So then we can uh, say these tasks result in increase in sales, and here's your return on investment, right? And so that type of analysis is very powerful. But when you start running AI over the top of it, what are the fact other factors available? There can be environmental factors, you know, what was the weather in the area, other factors uh, in the photos maybe that we're capturing. Was there a new product uh, that's a competitor introduced in the category that may have had an impact on sales? You know, things like this are really important. And as you start to look at large sets of data over time, the AI can really raise to your uh, visibility things you otherwise wouldn't be able to see. It's just too much data to look at, right? And so I think that the opportunities are endless and we're going to see AI help us paint a clear picture of what's happening in environments like retail going into the future for for a long time. I think it's going to be amazing what we're able to figure out with AI. I'm super curious and I'll set some context for this, but I'm going to ask a little bit about kind of COVID's impact on your business over the last year. For folks who are listening, we're recording this just as vaccines are, you know, rolling out throughout the United States. Businesses are just starting to open back up. Hospitality is just starting to pick back up. Retail was obviously deeply impacted over the last 12 months. I guess you, from your perspective, what did that mean for you guys, not just from a, and I, this could be a couple of ways, not just from a demand perspective, but even from an observer perspective and getting folks out there to, to be willing to go into stores and do some different things. 
Sure. Well, you know, when when COVID first hit in um, Q1 of, of last year, it just created chaos in the market. The The first thing that happened was that consumers started stockpiling, which, you know, made it so that retailers didn't know how to plan any longer. It uh, The buying was irrational and didn't make a whole lot of sense to the retailers. It made it challenging to predict both what the demand would be going forward and also in working with their suppliers on what was even going to be available. That was compounded by the fact that they had to focus on human resource issues, both at the, for a retailer's perspective, you know, the safety of their employees in the stores, as well as from the brands and manufacturers perspective, because they had people in factories, of course, producing product, maybe even overseas, you know, what was happening here versus in other countries. And it, it just all made the supply chain very challenging. And, and it did have an impact on our business in that a lot of companies had to focus on fundamentals in their business, manufacturing, employee wellness, and just getting product, you know, into distribution. So some analytics and and services like ours, you know, um, were impacted and took a little bit of a hit, but things started to improve last year as, as, you know, the uncertainty started to fade. And that happened in it towards the end of the second quarter and everything started to come back and by the you know, third and fourth quarter, things were strong again. And really, you know, grocery, which is where we are dominant space, even though we work in hardware and, and electronics and other types of products and stores, grocery uh, really won with COVID because, you know, a lot of people uh, spent money at restaurants. They stopped spending money at those those food service stores and, and it transferred that spend to the retail stores the like like uh, grocery. So, you know, overall grocery stores won in COVID. Uh, we took a hit and as, as a lot of service providers did um, in the beginning, but you know, the market's back. Awesome. All right. I know we're at time and, and I got to let you go. If folks want to learn more about Observa or if they want to get in touch with you with some questions, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, please go to our website. It is observanow.com, O-B-S-E-R-V-A-N-O-W.com. Uh, you can reach us at sales at observanow.com. You know, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can even just request uh, information directly off our website as well. There's a way to do that too. So, you know, looking forward to anybody that likes, would like to get in touch. Right on. Hugh, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate you taking the time. Startup Competitors provides monthly handcrafted email updates on your top competitors. Keep up to date on new hires, marketing activities, events, awards, new product launches, pricing changes, funding, and a bunch more. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.